Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Now, if you'll please join in our words for lighting the chalice. They're printed in your order of service, and they're also here. We light this chalice. Now I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath in, even in a changed space this morning. You are away from the hustle and bustle of the world here in a place of quiet and sanctuary. Let your body and your mind relax. Take a deep and slow breath and listen. Listen to the sounds of life in your own body and all around you. Breathe deeply and listen. Nearly every Sunday from September to June, I get to stand up here, your minister, and speak to you about things that matter to us all. I get to share with you information about social justice issues. I get to encourage you to live your lives in alignment with your values. I get to remind you that you are loved and wonderful. I get to challenge you to stretch yourselves in all sorts of different ways. I have the privilege and responsibility of sharing with you parts of my life, my thoughts, my ideas, all considered around the thoughts and ideas and parts of your lives that you share with me. Over six years of parish ministering, I've come to understand that part of what we do together over the Sundays of the congregational year is that we tell a story. Every Sunday is unique, but taken together, they build on each other. Together, we are practicing things like generosity and silence, and those build over time. We create a layered narrative with each Sunday we are together. We share our individual stories, sometimes in the quiet of our meditation time, sometimes in conversation with each other, sometimes over coffee after the service. And we write a collective story, the story of this community, of this congregation that together we constitute. Every month, to help center my creation of our services, I use a theme. And I have been so struck by our collective creation of a narrative that this year, our monthly themes are largely moments in a story. So we begin this month with the idea of the prologue, that bit before a book begins in earnest, that bit that invites you in, that sets the stage, that lets you know what you're even doing opening up that particular book. Because here you are, opening up the book of USR, of this congregational year, of storytelling with me and with each other. So what are you doing here? You get to figure that out for yourselves. But my hope is that among other things, you are here to build a community, 
to find companions and to pursue our mission with those companions. Our mission here is to grow, no matter how old or experienced we are, to grow in our minds and our spirits, ever knowing ourselves more deeply. Our mission is to act with love for justice, making this world better for others, making sure others know they are also welcome and loved. Our mission is nothing less than to transform ourselves and the world into a place and a people of love, of hope, of imagination, and forward thinking, and peace and compassion. These are big goals that we set before us in our prologue, high aspirations we ask of ourselves as we begin our book together. I so look forward to creating our story with you this year. Each Sunday that we gather and tell our story, we make special time for being together in the quiet. For some of us, that means prayer that lifts up the deepest wishes of our hearts. For others, it means meditation that asks us to focus on our breath and become centered in our beings. For still others of us, that means stillness that brings us away from the busyness of life. We come together into that time now. So I'll ask you to put down anything you're holding, to settle your feet on the floor, and to take a deep breath in. Take another deep and slow breath. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Deeply and slowly. This moment in quiet stillness is one moment in your life. One moment in the long story you are writing. From the moment you drew your first gasping breath, your story has been unfolding. Sometimes tragic, sometimes joyful sometimes within your control and sometimes beyond it. But it is yours. Breathe in as we move into our collective silence. Imagine tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. The hopes you have for the continued unfolding of your own life. Breathe and imagine. Take a deep breath. Your story is unique, wondrous, beautiful, and part of something more. You are one among many, a vital part, a piece that fills a space only you can fill. Your story is yours, and you are unique, wondrous, and beautiful. In all your flawed human glory, you are a beloved part of the whole. Breathe deeply. Many of you know that I grew up in New York City. It was the 80s. My school playground in Manhattan was concrete and brick and ungated, so often there were drug vials left over from whoever had hung out there the night before. 
The small island that I grew up on was more wild than that and than other parts of New York that we frequented, but even there, over the years, foundations were dug and more buildings were built, wild forests cleared to make space. Yesterday, my cousin and I took my children to the New York Botanical Gardens in the Bronx. My city boys dug in the dirt, not the first time, I promise, and planted seeds and harvested vegetables from the learning garden. The five of us wandered through the forest that didn't quite mask the sound of airplanes and highway traffic, and through gardens in varying stages of bloom. We walked along muddy paths and beside ponds, and we read aloud the names of plants that we never would have been able to identify. Watching my children gently touching the leaves and the petals and scrambling on the rocks, I was struck, as I am when we visit the green spaces on our island or anywhere else, by how at home they are naturally in those spaces. How curious, how a natural wonder is activated when they touch and see in real time the forces that provide their food and their shelter and their shade and their oxygen. For my part, I was reminded how easy it is to forget. I live in a place where my encounters with nature are curated and few, truly. We aren't a hiking or camping family. We don't garden. We have barely any plants in our home. For so many, like me, life can be lived with an almost absurd disconnect between ourselves and the world of nature. And that disconnect has many adverse side effects. Among them is that we as individuals can feel ungrounded and unsupported by the larger world of which we are a part, and that can lead us to this sense that our collective human story is independent of this earth, that we humans exist on it but aren't of it. And that disconnect can blind us to the crisis that is currently before us. The disconnection, I believe, is foundational and spiritual, but the effects are far-reaching and practical. This morning, I'm going to ask you to join me in taking advantage of this different configuration of tables and chairs, and we're going to try in this moment to connect a bit more deeply, to close the distance between us and this earth of which we are a part. So on each table, there are some green pieces of paper, and there should be some crayons, markers, pens. I want you to go ahead and take a piece of paper. There's some extra up here, if anyone needs it. I'm going to put them right here. So take a piece of paper and something to write or draw with. If writing or drawing is difficult for any reason, please ask a neighbor to help you. I want you to close your eyes or take a deep breath and remember some natural part of this earth that holds meaning for you. A stream, a tree, a favorite type of flower, a lawn, a forest, anything... Just something that isn't created by human hands. Something that you feel connected to in a deep way. You can draw it, you can describe it with words on your piece of paper, just by yourself or with a neighbor, figure out a way to get it down onto that piece of paper. And we'll take a minute in the quiet. Now I'm going to encourage you to keep drawing or writing as you need to, but also to listen a little bit. Our reading this morning was from a speech delivered, as I mentioned, by Greta Thunberg. She is a 16-year-old Swedish youth who, in August of 2018, began taking time away from school, striking in front of the Swedish parliament. 
On Fridays, she would strike rather than attend school. Others began to join her. She began to give speeches, eventually speaking before the United Nations in December of 2018. When she first began her climate striking and activism, she went on a campaign to persuade her family to radically change their lives. So eventually, giving in, the family became vegan, and her mother gave up an international opera career because the family committed to stop traveling by plane. Thunberg herself travels by train or boat in order to remain as carbon neutral as possible. She came to New York last month to spend some time speaking and protesting in the Americas. And to get here, she took a 15-day boat ride across the Atlantic. So she lives what she preaches. And what she preaches is what we heard today in that speech of hers. She reminds the world, political leaders, economic leaders, all of us, that in fact, we are facing a true crisis unlike any humanity has ever known. An extinction crisis, a species-wide crisis, a crisis that will result, without question, in a complete change in life as we know it. She reminds us all that we can approach this in two ways. We can let the crisis come and attempt to manage it after the fact, after it destroys our known ways of life, or we can take responsibility for what is coming and work now to mitigate the negative impacts. We can work now to make changes that are proactive rather than reactive. We can work now to ensure that the coming radical change doesn't result in our worst nightmares of a post-apocalyptic world. Thunberg knows and tries to remind us that, as she says, our house is on fire. There's that um, old bit of wisdom, I want to call it, that if you throw a frog into a boiling pot of water, it feels the change, it knows the heat and the difference, and it hurts. But that if you put a frog into room temperature water and slowly raise the heat, it never knows what's happening. We humans are acting like frogs in slowly boiling water. We act as if we haven't known for decades that Earth is facing a critical moment that could lead to our destruction. And we also act as if there's nothing we can do, and I get that. The crisis is at once both overwhelming to the point of paralysis and distant feeling for many of us Americans of certain means and living in certain areas of the country as yet relatively untouched by the impact. We are at once both disconnected and rendered inactive by our sense of impending doom. Because the facts are stark and challenging, my friend and colleague, the Reverend Peggy Clark, succinctly explains what's happening when she writes, we lose about 50 football fields of forest every minute. 58,000 wildfires burned millions of acres of land last year. Half of the world's wetlands are gone. Half of the corals are dead, and three-quarters of the oceans are fished to capacity with a warning that there will be no more fish in the sea in 30 years. There are more than 400 dead zones in the ocean. Plants and animals are disappearing a thousand times faster than ever before, leaving nearly one million species on the brink of extinction, while Earth's ice fields are melting and the world of nature is disappearing at our hands. That's how my colleague puts it. And then there are youth leaders like Greta Thunberg doing the work of educating others 
and other groups like the group Extinction Rebellion who are working to effect change and to educate. If you haven't heard of them, Extinction Rebellion describes itself as an international movement that uses nonviolent civil disobedience in an attempt to halt mass extinction and minimize the risk of social collapse. So last year in October, that group announced in Parliament Square a declaration of rebellion against the UK government. From there, the group has grown and exists all over the world, working to promote nonviolent rebellion against the systems that are destroying Earth and all of us creatures whose lives are intertwined with its health and sustainability. Um, they go by XR for short. The XR website declares, the science is clear, we are facing an unprecedented global emergency, we are in a life or death situation of our own making. They note that if we don't act, we're all going to face sea level rise, desertification, wildfires, water shortage, crop failure, extreme weather, the displacement of millions of people, widespread disease, and the increased risk, owing to all of that, of wars and conflicts that will further destroy society. XR notes that our leaders, political and economic, are failing to act on behalf of humanity. So I don't think it's going to surprise you to hear me say that our systems are broken and any leader who has no interest in radically shifting those systems to ensure our survival and thriving is not really a leader for our current moment. It is a hard truth that our social and cultural norms developed over the last two centuries of industrialized society, our pollution, our greed, our economic systems that privilege individual wealth over common good, our disconnection that leaves us the users of Earth rather than part of an interdependent web of existence have meant that we have destroyed, whether willfully, blindly, stupidly, or ignorantly, so much. And so much of it we will never get back. The house is indeed on fire. And in truth, the only thing that will save it is realizing that the house can't actually stay the same. Our system of greed and demand and individualism, the story of exceptionalism, both individual and national, the story of a never-ending earthly abundance that is ours for the taking, the story of an economic growth mindset that preaches that more is always the goal. These false narratives will end, either because we decide to end them and create something sustainable, or because climate chaos, climate change, climate crisis will force them to change. I do realize that it's hard to speak about these things and not sound alarmist or hyperbolic or to not sound hopeless or worse, full of false hope. But I'll tell you, I actually think that Thunberg's sense of urgency is pretty contagious when you start to listen to her and read her work. Her sense of this crisis is real and deep and life-altering, and the reality is that unless all of us actually begin to feel that sense of urgency— unless all of us truly begin to feel the heat, unless we allow ourselves to become a bit panicky because of the very real and very near and very present prospect of our destruction, we're not actually going to change anything. So while sometimes I will stand up here and I will be soothing and comforting, this is not really one of those days. This is one of those days when I will challenge you to consider what you really feel and what you are willing to do to create a new story of humanity and this earth. <clears throat> if you treated right now, this moment, as the prologue to a new story that will be written, whether we do it or by forces outside of us, what would you do? What would you be willing to sacrifice? 
Would you stop flying in planes? Would you ride your bike instead of driving? Would you strike and protest and march and vote and generally put your body and your voice and your power and your money where your values are? And those are questions I have to ask myself. I should really be saying, what are we willing to sacrifice? Will we switch our homes to renewable energy? Will we solar panel this congregation? What are we willing to do? It will hurt and it will be difficult. What Thunbergs and others propose and what I submit to you today is that our economic, cultural, food production, and social systems are right now contributing to our demise that will be brought about by the climate crisis, and all of them have to change. Recycling isn't enough. Reducing waste isn't enough. What will we really do, and what can and will we compel our leaders to do? Because although it feels insurmountable, we actually can stop it. Thunberg is clear on that. We can't reverse what's been done, but we can prevent further destruction. If we stop fracking and tar sands and mountaintop removal and drilling for oil, if we stop burning coal, if we phase out oil and gas and move to renewable energies exclusively, if we institute a meaningful carbon tax on companies right now, taxing the vast wealth of our unequal systems and putting that money toward incentivizing widespread change among all people, these changes have huge implications for our way of life. Just like Thunberg's family, we would all likely have to radically change the way we eat, consuming only what is locally produced and in season. We would have to give up plane travel until somebody invents an electric plane. And I can't tell you how hard it is to wrap my own brain around this level of radical change. So please understand that I'm not expecting you to suddenly decide that, yes, you are ready to alter your life and advocate for an entire overhaul of the systems we have known our whole lives. But I do think the more we talk to each other honestly about what's happening and the more we talk honestly about what is needed, the greater chance we have that we might actually make those radical changes. Now, of course, one of the hardest parts of this current crisis is that because we spent so long with our heads in the sand, ignoring the prophetic voices of the last four decades, we don't have very long to wrap our brains around the necessary change. Within less than a decade, Extinction Rebellion tells us we will have gone so far down that path that nothing, nothing will ever be the same. We do have a choice, right? We have a choice. Thunberg tells us we can make a choice. We can. We know from examples around the world, take action that actually matters. In Ethiopia, four billion trees will be planted before the fall to mitigate deforestation. Major cities around the world, including New York, have declared climate emergencies so that they can respond to the crisis. The UK has determined to be carbon neutral by 2050, and estimates suggest they will reach that goal much sooner. Costa Rica will be free of fossil fuels by 2021. Many countries around the world, despite the US pulling out of the Paris Agreement, have increased their promises to combat the climate crisis. It is absolutely possible for us to make meaningful, massive change on a massive scale. It won't be easy, but it can be done, and it is exactly what is necessary. So the very first small step that I'm going to ask of you is your participation this coming Friday in the global climate strike. Has anyone actually heard about this yet? Okay, some of you have. All around the world, responding to youth leaders like Greta Thunberg, People will be staying home from work or taking off time from school. 
to march, protest, sing, pray, write letters, call their governments, do whatever they can do to raise their voices in support of massive change. This Friday, September 20th, you can make your next or maybe your first move in your own climate crisis journey. I'll be with colleagues from across New York and New Jersey leading a worship service at 10 a.m. at Community Church in New York City. From there, many of us will continue downtown to where there is a protest and a march where Greta Thunberg will be speaking. If coming into New York City does not work for you, there is an event in Mawa where you can strike and advocate from your own home in ways that work for you. Just participate. Use your body, your voice, your power to be counted among those who recognize that the house is on fire and who understand that only with all of us willing to imagine a new future, willing to write a new story, willing to change, will we be able to offer our children and our children's children a world of beauty and life. We have a choice. Let's together make the right one. We have the opportunity to write the story. We can harm or we can help. We can sit idly by or we can act. Each and every one of us can do something, so do something. Make your love of earth, your panic and fear, your hope and your resolve known, loudly, proudly, with commitment to the generations that will come. Go determined and go in peace. 